0: This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha, a Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell.
1: Good day. Uh, Here in Paris, it's afternoon. Um, In other parts of the world, it's different times of day. Um, In Australia, it's night. So it's either earlier or later than we are now, but um, as we know, time is relative. So it's just now, we're all here together, here, which is nowhere, uh, except right where you are. Um, And before, in between the sitting period and The the previous sitting period and this sitting period, I did a Samu period, a work period, (laughs) in which I began preparing lunch, uh, because my husband is also busy today, and if I wait till after this period to start cooking, I will eat very late. And as I was doing it, I was thinking, now, why do we, why do we say that this is also practice? You know, preparing the vegetables, uh, washing the dishes, lighting the flame under the pot. um, Why do we say that this is also practice? Um, and I thought of many of you have heard me say often to you individually or just generally, or you've heard other teachers say it, stay with it. Um, you have a question, you have a koan, you have a an issue, and I say stay with it. Um, be with it is another way of saying it. Uh, And sometimes I think that's probably frustrating to hear that because you would prefer that there be some way out um, or some answer, uh, some resolution. And in fact, stay with it is the answer is the way out, is the resolution. But we don't experience it that way, usually, when we first hear that. Um, and if we, uh, the the Japanese, the great Japanese poet, uh, Ryotan, said, um, Something like, uh, if you, if you want to know the meaning, if if you want to see the teaching,
2: um,
1: uh, stop. Uh, what was it? Stop. Oh, yeah. Stop chasing after so many things. So that that's that's the heart of this practice: is just staying here with what is. So when when you're Cleaning the vegetables and washing the dishes, just just be doing that. Just be that And we say this is this is the heart, the essence of our practice. Um, so I was thinking about that as I was cleaning the vegetables and cooking and I also, uh, for the past few days, have been thinking about um, Diego Maradona, okay? So everybody has heard that Diego Maradona died. And even if you don't really have any idea about Diego, Diego Maradona, you've heard that he died. And um, many of you are too young to have really experienced the person, the football star playing on the field, who was Diego Maradona. Um, Because this was a long time ago, you know, this was in the 80s. Um, And so much of what you know of Diego Maradona, if you know anything, you know, it's kind of just this personality who floats around and you hear about in the news is about everything else that he did, which was basically um, drugs, uh, problems, um, financial issues, um, health problems. um, And so you don't really know why we were even paying attention to Diego Maradona. Except you probably have heard the legends and the stories and his famous goal that he scored with his hand and then the other goal that he dribbled the entire English team and scored, which is considered the greatest goal of all time. Um, so, you you know, you've heard the stories, you've maybe seen kind of the old grainy YouTube videos. Um, so I, you know what I, I haven't been so much thinking about Diego Maradona is I've been thinking about the rest of us and how we're reacting to the death of Diego Maradona and it's fascinating um, and I say this because as I was doing the vegetables and I was thinking so why is that teaching and then Diego Maradona comes to mind and I'm thinking and I say well why is that a teaching what is the teaching in the life and death of Diego Maradona, the legend of Diego Maradona, the, and the, the public worldwide reaction to the death of Diego Maradona. As, as you know about me, as, as I usually, I often do, um, my teachings often come from what's happening in the world, right? I spent almost 40 years working as a journalist and am trained to pay attention Uh, and quite well you know probably two-thirds of my life as a journalist um, was spent as a bodhisattva journalist so um, not a journalist seeking to um, become famous and be on television and be clever and have the the latest scoop before everyone else but as the the embodiment the bodhisattva of compassion hearing the sounds of the world and reporting that the sounds of the world to the readers because I worked for a newspaper um, and this was actually great Zen training, um, to be in that kind of work. Um, training because it was a training in everything is teaching. Everything is a manifestation of the, you know, whatever how we want to call it, the oneness of life. Everything is a manifestation, if we stay in our Zen tradition, of Mu. Um, And so wherever I looked as a reporter, as an editor, I saw Mu. Um, I saw things as they are, and then would look into them and say, well, what does, what is this? What is the teaching in this? Apart from it's Mu and so i you know i look into diego maradona's story and a line from the poet paul salan came to me um he was a poet who was born in i think um i don't know you know it was before europe was divided into the countries it is now and uh you know maybe Romania, or no, I don't, I don't. Anyway, anyway, he was a German speaker, but he wasn't born in Germany. And he, his parents died in the Holocaust, and he was able to flee, and eventually took refuge in. Uh, was sent to the camps, um, and survived, and eventually took refuge in France. Um, But continued to write in German, even though people said, how can you write in German after the Holocaust? Um, And there's a line from his, his poetry that is, speaks true who speaks shadows. So the one who speaks, so, the truth is being spoken when we speak of shadows, when we include shadows in our speech. And he took that as the poet as well, you know, as a poet. He didn't only write about the luminous, the beauty, the fantastic uh, illuminations that he might have, but he could, only, he could not not include shadows because his life was one big shadow. Um, He ended up killing himself, jumping off a bridge into the River Seine in Paris, but much later. He had a long career after the war as a poet. Um, And so that line came to me when looking at Diogo Maradona. And I'm just using this as an example because it's true of everything, but because this is such a present story. you know, he Diogo Maradona was this manifestation of shadow and light, that is just an extreme manifestation. So he was this. His his football playing defied all rules of what anyone had known before. He he was a football genius, um, and. <clears throat> people marveled at that the world marveled at that at the same time he was like uh, uh, an extreme manifestation of shadows Um, he cheated you know he scored a goal with his hand it was allowed and afterwards he said it was the hand of god who scored it and this became famous, you know, it's called the Hand of God goal, actually. And um, and yet, you know, 20 minutes later, he scored this absolutely... Um, this goal that defied all rules of what you could do on the football pitch, right? Um, And then in his life off of the pitch, off of the soccer field, he, it was as if he was so close to the light, so close to the perfection and people adored him, adulated him and put him on a pedestal. And he had no protection from that. And he fell into all of the shadows in the frailties of what it is to be human. Um, he, there was money, um, there was fame, um, there were all of the temptations of food, drugs, women. Um, he exemplified everything that is um, human. Everything that is um, mortal. And at the same time, he exemplified everything that we wanted to see as immortal, right? And perfect and luminous on the football field. And this, so this was captivating. This captivates our imagination, right? And, the, and um, to some extent, this person represented everything we wanted to be and yet everything in on both ways. He, everything he did was extreme. Um, and I was looking earlier after we sat uh, these pictures behind me on my wall. And um, among them, there are various poets and artists who I admire and who inspire me. And most of them succumbed at a young age to many of the things that uh, Maradona succumbed to. Um, Many of them died young, Um, they lived hard, Um, but that also was why their art was so beautiful. And they lived close to danger. You know, I'm thinking of like Jean-Michel Basquiat, some of these other people. Jim Carroll, I don't know if you know who he is. Um, you know, even Baudelaire. Um, they, they held nothing back. And their life is a teaching for me in that sense. Um, that they held nothing back. At the same time, there's a teaching in it that they also did not walk the middle way. And the middle way is, as the Buddha taught us, neither, neither left or right, neither fast nor slow, um, neither good nor bad. Um, it's dwelling. We say dwelling and non-dwelling. So the middle way is neither here nor there. So, when I say, you know, there's no time, we all are on our clocks, it says a different time. But it's right now. That's the middle way, just now. Um, when we say neither here nor there, so it's not Perth, um, it's not Lisbon, it's not Porto, it's not Paris, it's not Norway, um, it's just here, just right here. That's the middle way. And this middle way to stay there, to dwell in the middle way is extremely difficult or at least we think it's difficult because we're so used to going there or here or being fast or slow. Um, The American poet Gertrude Stein said, when you get there, You see there's no there there. Critics, literary critics have misunderstood this, and they think she's talking about her hometown of Oakland, California, and that she was saying it's such a horrible place, boring. When you get there, you realize there's nothing there. But that's not what she was saying. She was saying what we're saying. When you you get there, you see there's no there there there's nowhere to there is no there to be it's here and when you get here you see there's no here here you don't actually get there either you are there you are it so so maradana's life was spent um, not on that middle way and he took it to great extremes extremes that none of the rest of us, most of us don't go to, right? Um, so we have this popular saying, burning the candle at both ends. So when you burn the candle at both ends, eventually it burns out, you know, and um, very quickly. Um, so, you know, if we look at Maradona, um, his life is a teaching, and the reaction that we've seen worldwide is a teaching. Even the fact that I doubt there's anyone here who hasn't heard about him having died, possibly, but I doubt it. Uh, even if you don't really know who he is. Uh, even that fact shows that there is a, he speaks to the multitudes. And what does he say? Unfortunately, well, maybe it's not unfortunate to a great extent, he's appealing to our craving, our desire, um, our, de- our desire to defy limits. Um, to, you know, Maradona seemed to, if you followed him at all, and I did as a journalist, he de- seemed, he seemed constantly to defy the limits of being human. He always escaped from his various The various traps that he was walking into himself right and so it's almost stunning that suddenly he dies he's human after all um and i think part of the reaction is that it's kind of this situation this um, surprise this extraordinary thing maradona died um and in just a very human way you know he didn't go out in flames in a car crash which a lot of heroes do you know or jump off a bridge into the river or um it's just very ordinary thing we're not even sure exactly what but it was just ordinary um and it's it's a teaching in yes there are limits as as humans we are mortal we are impermanent we will die and maradona too of course people are saying i forget which way it goes but it's you know diego died but maradona will never die people are saying things like that um the legend um There's a certain nostalgia. Um, And we can see that in in much of what we experience, not around Maradona, but in when we experience loss, grief, death. Um, It can be loss of our own youth. You know, people my age, I'm the same age as Maradona. So people my age, we see it and we're like, wow, yeah we were 20 years old when he did that, you know? Um, When he won the World Cup, you know, yeah, we were in the prime of our life too. Um, And so there's a certain bittersweetness to that too. It's like our youth is gone with Maradona. I'm not saying me personally, but I think a lot of people of my generation. Um, And yet we can see that in just, you know, a flower that is in a vase on our desk. The same kind of wistfulness we can have, the flower's fading, the flower's gone. Um, Or during this pandemic of our, what we call our way of life. Um, We're nostalgic for our way of life and being able to be with people without masks, um, being able to hug people, touch people, share meals together, um, or we might feel wistful with our way of life, our freedom of just being able to go and do what we want to do, when we want to do it, where we want to do it. Um, Those are manifestations of not Resting here in the middle way, um, just being with what is, seeing what is, experiencing what is as the teaching. And so I, I can say the teaching with uh, you know a big T. Um, everything, all of this, is, is a manifestation of the whole of life. Each, each breath, uh, each speck of dust, um, each step you take, the, the whole of life is manifest there in that. That, that was the Buddha's fundamental teaching. Um, you know, he famously, according to whatever tradition, tradition you follow, for translation, he said something to the effect of, at this instant, all me and all sentient beings throughout space and time are awakened simultaneously. Um, my awakening is your awakening. So this week, this weekend, we're celebrating the Buddha's awakening, but it's our awakening. We just have to pay attention. You know, be the bodhisattva of compassion. Pay attention and experience it by not looking for so many other things. That's why we just say, just sit here on your cushion right now. And we, it's almost like we're putting ourselves in a box and saying, sit here, just do this. So that we can awaken to that, to that. All beings throughout space and time, including me, are awake right now. Um, but often we get caught in moving away from the middle way, because the middle way is it's it's not it's frightening. to not have reference points, to not have uh, positions. To not, um, to not project what we want, how we want things to be, uh, or how we don't want them to be. So either grasping them, wanting, 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 or pushing away, rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. Um, and we spend so much time and effort doing that, and that only serves to feed our dissatisfaction feed our unhappiness, uh, feed our frustration, feed our desire for more. And Maradona is, a, is, a, is a sad, sadly an example of that. Um, it was never enough. And tragically, he tried really hard over and over again. You know, he went into detox and... He even had, uh, you know, this operation on your stomach where you reduce the size of your stomach so that he wouldn't eat so much. Um, he tried, but he was human, and he failed. Um, we can say he failed. At the same time, he was manifesting the whole of life. he was manifesting the shadows of life. Um, And it's a teaching for us, as I said, to see that the more we feed it, the more we want. Uh, So it's a tricky request that we're making of ourselves to stay in the middle way. To not give in to those, well, let's say, to not wander off to the right or the left to the good or the bad, to the light or the shadow, to just stay in the middle way. And actually the middle way encompasses the bo- both of the sides. That's why I, this, I cite this quote from Paul Celan, speaks true who speaks shadows. That's part, of, that's part of the middle way. So we stay with the shadows and we stay with the light, but we don't, settle in either one. And we don't seek one or the other. We embrace all. And in our daily lives, this, uh, we have every moment is an opportunity to do that. Um, In something that I cite from Joyce's Ulysses often is when one of the main main characters, Stephen Dedalus, who's a teacher in a boys' school, is having some kind of philosophical discussion with his headmaster, with the headmaster of the school, while the boys are outside playing during the break. And some discussion about God. And so the teacher, headmaster finally says to Stephen Dedalus, well, what is God? What is is his idea of God? What is God then? And at this moment, the boys are playing football, oddly enough, football outside. And Stephen says, a shout in the street. The boys are playing football. One of the boys shouts at that moment. Teacher says, "What is God?" And Stephen says, "A shout in the street." Great Zen practitioner Stephen Dedalus, you know, um, (laughs) gave a direct response, gave a direct manifestation of the koan. What is God? Um, Can we see? You know, with someone yesterday, I was discussing this that in the traditional ...original teachings in Islam and Judaism, um, you're not allowed to, in Judaism, you can't say the name of God. It's, it's that which has no name, or he who has no name, or something like that. And in Islam, um, you cannot represent it. You can't represent God. So this has been interpreted as you cannot have shown an image of God and it's become as we've seen the consequences of if you represent an image of the prophet, um, this is a grave sin in Islam and we've seen the consequences of that, right? But it can't be represented, God. You know, I think if we go back to the original teachings, that it's the same experience that we would talk about, that it can't be repre- it can't be named. It's a shout in the street. Uh, it can't be, as soon as you fix it in one image, it's no longer that. On the middle way, everything is it and as soon as you say one thing is it then you're no longer in the middle way so if you know we can see another teaching in maradana that as soon as we label him um a you know a devil um we miss what's divine in him and this is true for all of us So, and this I think is part of the appeal to people is the genius and the the bad boy of Maradona. You know that um, it's impossible to put him in one place or the other. It's impossible to put any of us in one place or the other um, because we all embody the shadow and the light. We would like to only embody the light and yet part of embodying the light means embodying the shadow. That's the middle way. Uh, That's our practice. Um, So when we sit that's we that all of this is implicit in our practice we just sit with whatever is we try not to judge whether it's good or bad uh we try not to hang on to things we like and push away the things we don't like our our aspiration is to hold it all uh, just in this moment so we're not saying in the next moment just right now just when you're sitting and as we all observe our minds are coming and going all the time and chattering about all kinds of things and maybe you have observed that. So yeah, so let's say you start your sitting period by with that inspir that aspiration, and you say, okay, I'm just gonna sit here with this, and you might focus on your breath or whatever it is your technique is, and then your mind starts to wander. And sometimes you will go with it. You'll follow it and start going off and planning uh, what you will do for your summer holiday or how terrible it is that you can't see your mother, or how good it is that you can't see your mother, or um, you know, any number of things. The shoes that you want to buy online, um, the last retreat you did, uh, how annoying Zoom is, whatever. You know, and you get caught up in it all. Um, and this is, so we're move, you're moving away from the middle. Uh, and then when you become aware of it oh yeah I'm I'm going off on this thing about zoom and how I don't like it um, and how I would like something else and then uh, well yeah that other retreat we did or um, yeah when I take the airplane this happens or um, I can't take an airplane anymore or um, whatever then you just come when you realize that you just come back Um, and then for that second then you are embodying the middle way and very quickly you might then start judging yourself and saying that was bad why was I drifting Um, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do this is so annoying and then you're off again And so the challenge is to then come back again and again and again and again without indulging in these wanting, not wanting, here and there, good and bad, right and left, whatever, exciting, boring. And the more you do that, you know, I say that my practice as a journalist was a good training because as a journalist, we are asked to just report the facts. We're not, and this is a certain kind of journalism, we are not asked to give opinions or um, judge. We're just asked to report the facts, which is, you know, a, a tough thing to do because as humans we naturally judge and by just what we're choosing to report we're making a judgment right but that is the that's the goal just to observe and report observe report and i think probably part of my uh surprise now about the reaction to diego maradona comes from the fact that for most of my life as a journalist I wasn't focusing on Maradana as being good or bad, I was just reporting Maradana. Um, And was surprised to see how much people had invested in Maradana, in fact. Um, And I would say my bodhisattva root as practice as a journalist began when I started doing my Zen practice and had a, a really life-changing encounter with the Dalai Lama, um, which some of you have heard before, I've told this story before. Uh, I was a very young practitioner, um, pretty young journalist, but experienced enough that my newspaper. Trusted me with going to interview the Dalai Lama when he was visiting Paris once. And so I went. I prepared in advance. I was not, I was new to the Zen practice, and so I didn't know a lot. So I asked my teacher what she thought I should ask, and other people. I asked, of course, my editors what they wanted me to ask, what they how they wanted me to approach it. And everyone had their angle. The editors, of course, wanted the Tibet China angle, you know, the geopolitical angle. Um, My Zen teacher gave me the Buddhist angle. Someone else said to me, oh, you know, ask him what he does with anger because his issue is anger. And, you know, everybody had these things they wanted. So I prepared, I read his biography, I read some of his teachings and went for the day for the interview. And I only had a half an hour. And it was media day, so in this fancy hotel in Paris. And so every half hour, there was a different journalist who went in. So when my turn came, they came and got me. And I went in to this room, this beautiful suite in this hotel. And there was the Dalai Lama and all of these men, um, like you know, the Tibetan government in exile, translators, probably important lamas who I didn't know anything about, um, you know, there were probably at least 10 people in there, and me, and the Dalai Lama, so they present me to the Dalai Lama, you know, and bow, and, um, so I introduced myself, and uh, hadn't really thought about that part. I hadn't prepared for that part, actually. Uh, I guess I just forgot, and so I found myself saying things that I hadn't planned to say because I hadn't planned anything. I told him the newspaper I was from and he immediately reacted positively, he loved it. He reads, he read that newspaper every single day, wherever he was in the world. It's an international newspaper and um, just a very prestigious newspaper. And that helped me, you know, felt it felt warm and then I heard myself start saying, Well, you know, I'm a Zen practitioner and I'm coming here to serve as a, uh, a conduit, as a bridge um, between you and my readers. Um, I'm bringing what little I know about Buddhism uh, and my experience of the worldly world as a journalist to it so that I can talk to you and ask questions from a perspective of a journalist who knows that worldly world, but also with some sensibility of Buddhism. And I will bring back the answers to my readers having the sensitivity of Buddhism, but also how I can express your answers so they will understand them. Like I said, I had not planned this. I had no idea that i was even thinking this but i think that it's the experience the the meeting with him and his presence suddenly awakened the bodhisattva journalist in me probably somewhere this had been going on in my head but i wasn't aware of it and that experience changed my life changed my whole entire career as a journalist I never worked as a journalist in the same way again. Um, It was as if I had awakened to the the oneness of life in that context and what what it meant to not be attached to my identity, either as a Zen practitioner or as a journalist, or even to an identity of me. I was a tube. You know, that was just a tube through which this information was passing in two ways, in two directions, you know, two-way traffic. Um, And this, this helped me greatly to how I observed as a journalist what was happening in the world, and also how I presented it to my readers. And it also enhanced greatly my Zen practice, because everything became a teaching, right? So my Zen practice was not limited to just sitting in the zendo, um, chanting sutras, and eating an norioki, um, putting on a robe. That In that time, we wore robes. Um, it was everything. So the tube was going both ways there too, between my Zen practice and my everyday life. Which brought me to you, which is, you know, life is practice and practice is life. The middle way is that. In the middle way is practice and life. Life is practice and practice is life. So um, all of this to say, as I was doing my cooking this morning and I was thinking what I would say to you and I was thinking that's what I would say to you, that just look, look closer. Sometimes I say to you, look closer, look so close that there's no separation. The, the teaching is you, you know. Um, my, my teacher gave me that Dharma name, Ture Salah. You are it. You are that. Um, so look closer. This, it's not just that, okay, I'm going to focus on cutting the carrots and turning on the fire flame and washing the pot. It's that that actually is the teaching. That is it. There's nothing else that you need to look for in this moment So I can, you know, open the newspaper and Diego Maradon is a teaching. Um, The pandemic is a teaching. Uh, Look out my window, the guy walking past my window in the street is a teaching. Um, The clutter on my desk is a teaching. The, your your faces in these rectangles, which are, wow, so diverse. the absolute, unlimited diversity of what appears on my screen at this moment is just—that's a teaching. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and that's what the bodhisattva of compassion means too: is listen to it all, hear it, and you know, as we know from Bernie Glassman's teachings of hearing it without an idea of what it is you're hearing. Just receive it. Because you don't have an idea about what it is, you can just receive it, you can just bear witness to it. And then the action arises naturally. What, whatever arises from that is appropriate, is the middle way. Um, so I think I'll stop there and offer you the possibility to say something or <clears throat> ask questions to add to this unbelievably diverse visual that we have. It would be nice to hear some other sounds, other voices.
2: Can I, can I start?
1: Yes, João, yes.
2: So, good morning. Um, first of all, thank you very much This for this talk. It touched me deeply. And I think it was this, this thing of really, um, encompassing and includes the shadows. and And so I was touched because I'm struggling with my shadows too, and and I was thinking also that how it can be easy with the difficulty of being in the middle way, um, to, to feel bad, to feel bad, about failing, about indulging in shadows and all that. And how liberating it is to, to hear you and to go back to, to the humanness and this angle that really can support us and accept us and, and re-put us on the, on the light of, of what is and accepting it. Uh, so thank you very much for that, and and I was also um, uh, associating with a, a comedian, a Portuguese comedian uh, that um, does a lot of improvisation, and he, his name is Cesar Moral. The Portuguese people uh, know who he, is with him for sure, and I never forget in one show. The, the interviewer was asking him, what, what was the secret for him to be, so, to be able to improvise so good, so well? And, and, and he just said in an unpretentious way, and that really passed on. Not paying attention to what he said, but I, I just got it, and he, and he was saying that, oh, it, it's, it's really to listen to listen to, to the people. So and 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 then he continued talking about every other thing. But and and I think it, it is so true and in, in what everything you were talking about it was and you were at the end talking about that listening. And and how the right action comes from listening. And and I made the association with him in that, because I'm also doing spontaneous theater, improvising theater, and so it touched me also personally in this work of me. So, yeah, I just wanna share this with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you, for. Yeah, that, that's it's very true. Um, when you, any kind of improv or <clears throat> imitations you have to really empty yourself of yourself, otherwise you can't do it. you know you become caught by yourself. And that's true. That's a good metaphor too, for life. I think Tomas had his hand up. Uh,
3: thank you, uh, thank you, Roshi. Good. good to be here and see everyone. So just uh, sharing uh, a little experience uh uh that uh, i had this morning that um, for me it, it resonates with what 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 you've been saying particularly with this um being in retreat and being out of retreat as the middle way and uh, trying to embrace both so um i totally forgot about the retreat and i uh this morning, there was the, the follow-up email uh, mentioning the recording of yesterday. Oh, good, retreat. And I was washing dishes when I saw that in my iPhone. And then for me, it was, um, okay, there, there was no guilt or trying to, uh, oh, I wish I could have done better. Just, I, I just came to me, that, how, can, how can I make this retreat as well? So the fact that I miss retreat is also retreat. My son is throwing things at me. Okay, just a second. See, my... so and um, so for me. So so uh, because my retreat is this, and it's all the time. Um, it helped me this a failure. It helped me to to embrace outside retreat as retreat, if this makes any sense to me as, a, so it, uh, but that's something very simple as just no, not much conflict and guilt, and just, I do what I can, which is what I was always intending to do. So I guess forgetting that retreat was starting, it's also part of it, and uh, including that, and um, and uh, yeah, the uh, being here in my, um, in my non-stopping, uh, uh, ever continuing endless uh, retreat of parenting so i just wanted to to share that uh, because for me it all, that's my that's the middle way that i'm uh, treading at uh, at the moment that's where, that's my path at the moment it's it's um, bringing these two things together otherwise there's no practice there is just conflict it's the, the life outside form of practice, the life inside form practice. And if I don't make it one, if I don't allow it to, to be one, there's no practice. So just um, wanting to share that.
1: Thank you, Thomas. That's a, a direct, direct experience for all of us of practice. Life is practice. And in the same way as Joan said, you know, about not feeling guilty about indulging in the shadows, that that too is practice you know that that it's all it's all practice and, and i'm really happy to hear both of you saying it because that's that's it you know um, i feel like yeah they got it <laughs> um, so thank you christine yeah
0: yeah hello everyone um i just want to add some little thing that came to my mind when you said that um the craving um, also comes from the more or uh, i don't remember exactly how you said it but when you talked about diego maradona um that the more we indulge in it the more we want in something like that and um yeah it, it just made me think of sugar the drug sugar um, the more you eat the more you want it's a little bit like that that it works and i really can observe that with um, my children um, because i really try to limit sugar and yeah the less they eat the less they want it works in the in the in the other way too you know um yeah we kind of stopped uh, eating sugar during week at special opportunities or sometimes i say yes but um now as we have really reduced that they eat sugar they hardly ask for it anymore and but if if you give them each day sugar they ask for sugar every day because they always think of oh can i have a little sweetie (laughs) and I'm I'm not eating. I'm not very attracted by sugar, so it's. I really see that it's easy for me to not eat sugar, but as a child I ate a lot, and and we did um, seven weeks without around Easter. You know there was a tradition of um, feasting, or so you say, Um, and with my, in my family, we did that, uh, that we did seven weeks without watching television or seven weeks without sugar or things like that. And I always, um, as a child, (laughs) I observed how sweet chocolate was after these seven weeks of not eating sugar, that it was almost, um, it was too much. it was it didn't taste good anymore because I, I had lost this taste of sugar, and then you become more sensitive to to the sugar. so um, yeah, that just came to my mind because it's uh, it's probably the same for drugs. Um, the problem is once you indulge in it, the more it's an addiction. so um yeah it makes you want more of it.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Also, good illustration that we can see our, our fundamental addiction is to ourselves. And that the more that, we in, the more that we indulge in that, our attachments and our desires and our, um, our wanting and not wanting and our opinions and our ideas and everything, the more we, we focus on that. Yeah. And the whole practice is to unlearn, to train to not do that, to break that habit. Yeah. And the more that we do, it's like with sugar.
0: The less that we want to do that. Yeah. That and what's interesting um, about that too, I don't remember, in, I heard a conference lately, um, and I think it has even been shown scientifically that when you meditate, that there are different brain areas, uh, and there is, they can identify uh, the brain area that um, is um, firing when you are thinking about yourself or indulging in the self, or when it's oriented towards others, you know, uh, the compassion and, apparently they can distinguish the brain areas and when you meditate there is a tendency to uh, shut down the me area and to go into the all this one area the the other area something like that i understood it like that um, i don't have read or um, watched up the the science behind but I found that quite interesting. Yeah, it was. It was definitely as um, somebody who was uh, working with neurosciences or something like that. I uh, I found that interesting. Yeah, <laughs> because that's what we observe within the practice. What's happened? So
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lisa.
1: Good afternoon already, uh, here anyway. Um, It's funny uh, when you speak of the middle way, what comes up at first is how boring. How boring because, um, well if you look at Maradona or all the artists that you were mentioning, well, you can think those are this is a full life because they've done things and they've gone to the extremes. and so what's what's left in the middle way? It's just boring. <laughs> but at the same time, um, it's ignoring the not or not seeing the the strength of that just now and how full, it is, Um, but yeah, it's just how do you, there, yeah, it's just, uh, how do you, how's how's the question I want to put is, um, yeah, what do you answer to this idea that, um, that people might throw back at you actually, uh, about the middle ways. Oh, but it's you always it's always compromise. It's it's not this it's not opinion So it's not this nor that so it's just and uh, Neutral and neutral is boring Well, I think um, I, I Don't know in what situation people would ask me that um, however uh, the the notion of boredom Comes is is part of the relative world. So something is boring or it's exciting. So it's to it's to return to the dualities. If we say it's boring or it's exciting, Um, as is neutral, um, because the middle way is not neutral. Um, And that's where it's tricky that it can only be experienced. And as you said at the beginning, that because it encompasses everything it's full. Um it's what you know in traditional teachings we call empty. But actually my own experience is fullness and I and you said it too. Um, it's full because it's everything. Nothing is excluded. Um, so in a sense we could say that's where the that's where the pure excitement is or the pure the total excitement or the total boredom is because it's total there is nothing outside there's nothing boring because it's as soon as you set up boring you set up exciting um so i think it's it can't really be communicated verbally in that sense um when the buddha was asked questions about duality like that he didn't answer um and that's maybe the best answer uh I think probably everyone, whether they practice or not, has had some kind of experience of the middle way. We have that experience regularly, in fact, but we don't pay any attention to it. Um, When we are just completely present with something, when we feel a real joy that's not attached to something, um, when we can just be present with someone um, in a very ordinary way. Uh, I think it's a common human experience, actually, but we become quickly, we don't pay attention to it, I think, um, because as very, at a very young age, we are trained to do something else. You know, Like Christine says, at a very young age, we get sugar. And so that takes us away from just this ordinary experience and tries to add something heightened to it. And then when we feel sadness, people tell us, oh, it's nothing. what so we say to children when they fall down, it's nothing, it's nothing. In French, we say, c'est rien, c'est rien, c'est rien. Um, so we're not encouraged to experience things as they are. And therefore we look for them to be some other way.
0: And even worse when <laughs> kids fall and hurt themselves you You give them you give them candies to not feel the hurt (laughs) so yeah and the i heard it so often on the playground when i picked up my children um i mean kids fall all the time (laughs) when they are um, climbing up things and whatever and or just running and they fall all the time. But it's not nothing. It's not nothing. In that moment, they feel pain. So as a parent or the person who cares for the child, it's we serve them much better when we just acknowledge what is just yeah, it hurts. And in any case, it passes so quickly. um, That Two minutes later, the child is laughing again. But uh, it's it's rather on the contrary when when the adult uh, denies the pain, that the child keeps whining because it just wants recognition of what it's experiencing, exactly. and and that's really what you can observe um, so often that which which is which would be so e- so easy um but I too had to learn that in my parenting journey um maybe it was I that was one of the things I I did quite from the start um to acknowledge pain um yeah but I I observe that it's not not every parent and adult does that with with children it's very common that it's that the real feeling of the child is denied
1: because we want we don't want we're denying our own pain we don't want to feel our own pain so
0: yes of course and we only want the bright side and not the shadows so
1: and yet when we look at what all of this adulation for diego maradona it's almost like an unconscious desire to hold both sides, because he's such an extreme shadow and such an extreme light that it's interesting that people would absolutely adore this and venerate this person who encompasses both to such extremes. I think Jose Eduardo raised his hand, but then we have to stop after him, sorry.
4: Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much, Amy, for your very nice and uh, Inspired talk on uh, Diego Maradona. Actually, while he was speaking, I was also having my thoughts. And the interesting thing is that if you realize the example you gave, it's just Diego Maradona got this, I mean, almost godly dimension because he was participating in one of these activities, I guess, with all sports, is like this, which is very dualistic. I mean the the famous goal with a hand with the god's hand of course it was fantastic for for the argentinian people but very very frustrating i think it was they, they were they were playing with the english team i think so it's it's so interesting to see that the yeah that the happiness or the realization um is of something is very much connected with the frustration of something that is not done or that causes causes in other people so this is only to say as a comment upon what you were just saying and realizing that that in the end this always brings back to this very fundamental teaching that we cannot separate uh, anything we cannot separate the um, let's say, enlightened dimension of life uh, from the samsaric part of life. Everything comes together, perhaps, and, and this we cannot. Perhaps, oneness is is yeah. It's it's a feeling sometimes. It's a realization, but it cannot be separated from from uh, uh, our dualistic dimension of life. So maybe this is a little bit intellectual what I'm saying, but it's it's so interesting to realize that Diogo Maradona is is of course seen especially by the Argentinian people as a god, but and of course everyone acknowledges him as a great football player, but his his, his shadow side is, is let's say his more shadow side is also encompassing the unhappiness that he brought to the English people when they were defeated. I, I had my own experience when Portugal when France, I think, the whole Portuguese that that, that saw that game four years ago or so. Um, yeah, I, I realized that, um, that my personal happiness of winning that game as a Portuguese, uh, of course, was um, complemented by the sadness of the French people. Um, and, but, but I could not escape my, my own happiness. <laughs> my, let's say that that is part of, of the game as well. Uh, that, that, that is so difficult to separate both sides in everything that we do. Uh, I don't know if, if the enlightened experience is also the realization of, uh, of all this uh, darkness. <laughs> so. Okay, this is just a comment, and it's also just, just by the way, it's also interesting that that if we saw these images on TV about the funeral of Maradona, I mean, his uh, uh, his life actually is death in this case is uh, goes on, bringing a lot of confusion. If you see all these people together and. Uh, and if you see the circumstances in which this is happening with the coronavirus and people getting together. And uh, so it's obviously that man was, uh, was a special man. He drives a lot of uh, uh, energy and uh, is the embodying of a great energy is obviously. And, and we cannot also just, just to hand it, we cannot also, this is another thing, it, we cannot also dissociate that from the fact that religion nowadays is, is really religion. Uh, uh, sorry, football is really a religion. It's, it's, it's something that perhaps um, also should take into consideration uh, uh, how this more, um, let's say, uh, unconscious spiritual dimension of football is activated. With these kind of stories, with with Maradona, with the, with the team that we are supporters and that loses, so every all the dualistic dimension of life is is ever present. Okay, this this is just my comment on what what you said.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry we are out of time. Um... <clears throat> We will be back in a few hours to sit again. Um, And I think you you received the email, you can sign up for interviews as well, you know, um, which will start this afternoon with Joa giving interviews. Um, So, bon appetit, as we say in French, um, in Portuguese as well. Uh, And uh, see you later, thank you.